0: Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Good evening, good afternoon, good night. Welcome to the Wine Not Our Podcast from wherever you're listening and whatever time you're listening. Today, we're going to delve into the power of data. We've seen an unprecedented rise in the world of activism this year across the globe, from the Black Lives Matter movement, to indirect provision, to the Me Too campaign, which was Misha Fosta in Ireland, to our own Why Not Horror campaign and numerous gender and diversity equality campaigns closer to home. What has been a significant factor in being the vehicle to elicit change has been data focused reporting. This is facts over opinion, which is very important as a female activist, that we don't don't look like we're shrill-seeking and that we use facts as tools of power uh, to enact change. Today we delve into this with Nadia Khan. Nadia has been working in the music industry for over 18 years. She began in PR and then ventured into management, which she manages numerous artists such as Lethal Bizzle. She started her own company, Women in Control, and focuses heavily on spotlighting female talent. Our other guest is Vic Bain, who is an incredibly, incredibly inspiring woman. She is the former CEO of the British Academy of Songwriters, Composers and Authors, with 25 years of experience in music and creative industries. Vic also is the creator of The F-List, which is a snapshot of over 300 UK labels in the UK with different genres that showcase over 3,000 women on the rosters. Just for those who believe that there's no women actually working and creating music in the industry. Without further ado, I'm so delighted to welcome our guests today. Welcome to the podcast, Nadia and Vic. How are you both doing? Hi, yeah, doing really well. Hello, yeah, I'm really good, thanks. Excited to be here with both of you guys. So much has happened this year. I mean, I remember the start of COVID and and being in Ireland and listening to a load of seminars from Empowering Women and Nadia and Vic, you were on a seminar and uh, and it was just so empowering and inspiring and i had just started doing the gender disparity report it wasn't finished or anything but listening into what you guys were up to just gave me the fuel to kind of go oh, you know what i'm gonna do it. just you know it's it's all about empowerment so just tell the kind of listeners a bit about what you have been up to um, and how you've utilized your time during COVID. Wow. Well, you know, that was so interesting. It's been
1: it, it's been such a crazy year, as I know for, you know, so many people in the industry. And, you know, when lockdown happened with COVID, I was kind of just twiddling my thumbs with all my projects being canceled, just being like, what can I do with my time? And uh, yeah, I started doing the lockdown webinars in March. And yeah, I think the one that you came on uh, was in, in May and I had an incredible lineup, super inspiring, for me to have, you know, Vic as a guest and and Maxi Gedge from Key Change and Alison Wenham. And it was such an inspiring conversation. Um, And yeah, I guess my work's really pivoted, um, you know, off the back of, you know, doing all those lockdown webinars and having so much free time on my hands. Um, I've been able to put a lot more and invest a lot more time into Women in Control, which is a platform that I started up around um, three years ago. Um, And, you know, my background, I've been working in the industry for over 19 years and six 16 years of that as a music manager and I really felt through my own experiences working in the industry and then also starting to manage female artists I really just noticed like the huge amount of barriers for women in music not only that but yeah just the lack of opportunities and um, yeah like I said as you know being a manager I've just been so busy for the last 16 years and for the first time I had some um, some free time so I got busy and I've been yeah doing you know a lot of um, data reporting which I'm really excited to be talking to you guys about today because I know you've both been really active and proactive in that area and I'm super inspired and I really love your work Vic I think you know I really appreciate the incredible work that you've done uh you know putting the the in the music industry reports together and it's just so inspiring and it's just something that is so needed you know for us to kind of start to make change in the industry and start to talk about these issues
2: well, amazing. Thank thank you very much, uh, uh, Nadia. And uh, likewise, well, I'm already um, have already included references to both to both of your um, research reports in, a, in my Ph.D. research. So, <laughs> oh, yeah, it's really it's really important. I think we need to, you know, we need to do lots more re- research. There are other, you know, corners of the music industry. Which haven't had a, a light shone on them yet, and uh, yeah, then, you know, there's, still, there's still quite a way to go. But I think I think what we're what we're doing collectively is is producing the foundation understanding of where of where we are in the music industry, and then how much how much work there is
0: left to do. Yeah, I mean, we had. Um dr jennifer cassidy on the podcast last week and something that she said which really rang home was nothing about them without them and you know she said it and then she said it again and it was just kind of this sense of in in her work she's on the political side of things but she was kind of saying you know it's not about Women kind of, you know, dissing men or or men dissing women, and that kind of perpetual motion. It's about us all joining forces as an equal, an equal balance, if you will, in our respective industries and working towards that equality, and not just singling out one or two women and that's enough and that's our lot. And I think with the F list, uh, Vic, that was it's just such an important body of data of work to actually say, look, this. There's 300 UK record labels here and there's over 3,000, it's probably more now, um, women within the music industry that are writing, that are composing, that are performing, you know, that have... The exact same ability as their male counterparts. And it's, it's a, such a useful tool when somebody turns around, which myself and Nadia are very used to at this stage and hearing the, the sentence, well, there's no women doing it. You know, there's more men and, you know, it's not about parity. It's about the fact that more men are doing this. But if we have this tool to, to listen to it as a vehicle of change to say well no like there's, there's so many more women there always have been women doing the same thing as men but for whatever reason men have been getting the the bigger platforms the bigger opportunities and they have been showcased on a, a massive scale as opposed to their female counterparts it, it's a question that I'm constantly um kind of met with is why that is why do you both feel that that is I don't know
2: if if, uh, if not if Nadia not We'll come up with a different uh, answer to me. But uh, but actually, I think it boils down to our basic stereotypes and prejudices. I think that's, you know, that's uh, then that sort of unconscious and sometimes con- conscious as well. So mm. I think, you know, we are um, and music has been male for a thousand years. You, men were allowed to um, you know professionally earn, earn an income from from music they were you know they were deemed the um, the musical geniuses the composers men were you know it was only men who were allowed to play in in orchestras and any any woman who who, who did perform music was considered uh, very sexually suspect and um, uh, unless she was a nun. <laughs> so there was a sort of there was an except religious exception there. Unless Jesus was on her side. <laughs> <laughs> or, if, or if somebody, yeah, uh, you know, if a woman was a member of the aristocracy or the royal family, then maybe she had some protection there. Uh, and we still have those biases. We still mm. we still do. So uh, yeah, I think it goes really deep into yeah. into human nature, actually. I think I think that's where it comes from. And we are struggling. To break ourselves free from these um,
0: basic stereotypes and prejudices. I totally agree. I mean, it's it's always kind of. People are asking this question over and over again. And and I said something similar, not probably as astute as you did, but um, yeah, it's just, you're just flabbergasted really as to we feel that we've made so many leaps and bounds. But when you look at the data, which we'll talk about uh, soon, it's still so stark. It's still so, wow, how is it so massively kind of as a juxtaposition to each other? Um, And and these are the questions that, you know, the conversations that we should be having. Um, What's your view? Nadia.
1: Yeah, I agree with Vic. And I think, you know, again, it's like we're looking at these, we're, we're living in the system of society. And you know, a lot of these companies and organizations and in the industry has been built, you know, by men for men when at a time when women didn't have rights. So, you know, as much as we might have moved forward in society, there's still these systems in place that exist within a lot of organizations, a lot of sectors across the industry, where it's still just been very heavily male biased and focused because that's how it was built. So I think you know data really helps us because you know people like people can't really see it because there's a lot of that. there is a lot of unconscious bias that comes into it. So you know as much as we've moved forward leaps and bounds as you said, Linda, it the systems are still stuck and entrenched back in the in the in the old ways. So it's really about bringing and highlighting all those you know inequalities, those disparities, and bringing them into the limelight and talking about them and highlighting them because it's just crazy that it's some some of this stuff just staggers me like <laughs> that we're in mm. you know 2020 and we have to still talk about this but it's just it's just crazy just that we're that we're even you know having to still speak about these things it's just the disparity that exists in the industry for you know women in uh leadership roles or, or women trying to get into the industry and just um we just really need to keep talking about it and, and shining a light on it but I think there's there's not enough awareness. Awareness on it. There's, uh, you know, people kind of turn off when you start talking about um, uh, certain things. I think, you know, feminist and feminism can be seen as like a dirty word as well. And yeah. I think, you know, you mentioned it, Vic, as well. It's like, you know, not it's not about, you know, attacking men. It's about you know, fighting against the the systems that are there and, and kind of we need actually men on our side. So it's about how do we, you know, tell the story? How do we create more awareness on that? And I'm just a huge, you know, I really passionately believe that data is just such a powerful tool in doing that because it kind of takes the emotion out of it. I think, you know, again, I feel like women can fall down to society stereotypes. When you complain about something, you can be seen as moany or those typical words that are assigned just to women like oh she's just emotional or she's you know complaining or it's the time of the month and you don't get taken seriously um and which is a huge issue that actually I've encountered when I've spoken to to so many women in the industry is like what's one of the biggest barriers and it's about women getting taken seriously so that's why i think you know it's really interesting that all three of us even have you know really harnessed and the the use of using data to tell our story so yeah i'd love to to hear from both of you as well is that something you know is that a factor is, is that a factor as well as why you believe that data is so powerful and and important to use
0: yeah i mean it's it's uh, like for in my experience and again it's just from looking at what other people have done i look to the waking the feminist movement in ireland and um women on air who have been just such inspiring forces of power and help to elicit change in their industries and um I think when you see people that are making changes, and I have to say, I was only talking to um, Margaret E. Ward, who's one of the founders of Women on Air, on on a previous podcast. and And I was kind of mentioning the fear factor that is around for women as well in that if we have a role, which is considered a very high role, I mean, I was the label manager for a huge uh, international label and I was working with massive bands from, you know, The Prodigy, Underworld, Marilyn Manson, blah, blah, blah. All these are great, great bands. And I was, yeah, this is great. And I was so linear in my thinking in terms of, you know, I've got a really good position here. I have somewhat power in the industry that I'm in and I don't really want to jeopardize that by speaking up for other people, even though I've seen the disparities, I've seen the inequalities, I've seen that most Um, artists even that I worked with were white you know there was no diversity even though there's massive diversity in the culture that we're in in both the UK and Ireland Um, and it was just that kind of and I think that has to be addressed as well and I'm seeing that so huge Um, in such a massive way in Ireland um, doing the recent reports that we have published and it's kind of people are still afraid to speak up and I guess with with looking at women like Women on Air and, and um, Waking the Feminist I've seen that they use data it wasn't just opinion based so therefore it was a little bit safer to step out of the the role of being kind of oh I'm not going to not going to stir the shit here I'm not going to you know be public enemy number one but you look at I ended up being public <laughs> enemy number one and you know you, you actually get addicted to stirring dishes shit um, and it was just kind of looking at what they did with data and how they utilised it to get their story across and change the narrative of I'm an uh, angry feminist that uh, wants to moan about something. Instead, they went, you know what? Yes, we are angry feminists and we have every right to be, but instead of being looked upon as moaning about something and being bitchy, because I said women are, um, instead of bossy, they kind of, they used data uh, to, to tell a story. And I was so inspired by that that that's what I did um, this year by releasing the gender disparity report that outlined the uh, inequality of women and artists of colour that are played on Irish radio domestically. And it was just, it was huge. I mean, there was Only five, five to eight percent of women played on heavy rotation across Irish radio going back five years. You know, I mean, if we went back further, it would probably be more dismal. And I kind of went, you know what, this is a conversation that needs to be had, you know, and. Again, using the uh, Radio Monitor data, which is a company that compiles radio plays and playlists from radio stations across across the board in different territories. They cover the UK, Ireland and many countries in Europe. And it's just such a useful tool to have as um, a data resource to compile these lists and say, you know what, this is the station charts. These more or less homogenized playlists are actually the result of a homogenized staff of playlisters that are white men. And this is they're dictating the culture and what we listen to. Um, I know it's a little bit different in the UK, but certainly in Ireland, we see this huge, um, vast, sparse um kind of area of where are the black artists where are artists of color where is diversity and where are the women now we've seen it increase but again the the, the, how we have seen that is is using data and um just collecting it and putting it out there to the media and putting it out there because like the media is great because without press i don't think we can share the story and get people talking about it because it's all about eliciting the conversation and in a way that, again, is not deemed as being opinionated and this is one sided. It's facts and letting the facts speak. And in that regard, I think that it is possibly the most powerful tool. I quite agree. And uh, there's a great um, there's a great phrase.
2: And actually, I think a book, a book was published a number of years ago called Information is Beautiful. And you know it was a it was a book and a, and a website actually, which you know shows the power of data being represented in 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 various ways. And I think the thing that really um, was was extremely powerful about both of your research reports over the summer is you presented that research in really you know in really be- with beautiful graphics, and it absolutely you know got to the got to the point when you can see it visually. Yeah, I think I think that causes a real reaction in people, and then they go, "Oh my god!" You know, I didn't know, didn't know that 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 thing. So I think it's like seeing all of the um, all of the festival posters with the with the names of the of the male acts stripped out, and sort of one or two female acts languishing at the bottom. You know, when they started to be published four or five years ago, I think for the first time people said, "Oh my god!" You know. We didn't see it before, but now we mm. do. Yeah. And I think, um, again, with the with the uh, with the reports that you've done on 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 radio play and on and for you Nadia with the with the boards of uh, the music industry trade bodies, I think for the you know we 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 could have all gone online and had it and had a look mm. <laughs> for presenting that data in a really you know very modern and very stark uh but very you know very striking manner i think has really has really made people wake wake up because we all we all we all knew what it was really you know mm. but uh, it, yeah i think that i think the pre- the presentation and the um spreading spreading that um disseminating that data around has been really
0: powerful a hundred percent And and again it's i mean with myself and Nadia, we had been talking kind of around the release of the Irish Report and then when the Irish Report was received so well, I mean, it went viral on, on Twitter, broke Twitter like five times trended and I every magazine and, and newspaper and stuff, no radio, <laughs> but loads of people in media kind of going, what, what? You know, and they genuinely didn't know that that was the case. They didn't realise that this was just so, you know, just the parity just wasn't there and it was such a huge, huge, Starking visual kind of representation of how bad this the industry was. So then, Miss Sally, I still remember that. kind of um, calling. you and was happened the chat. And again, it was it was that kind of fear element as well of going, oh God, will we do it in the UK? Like, will we? Like, can we do it? Like, what would be the repercussions? And that even in itself of kind of going, you know, what you know, hmm. And and we kind of talked about it for a few weeks, and then we went, you know what, we're gonna do it. You know, and and, and it's kind of finding that freedom and that support because i i most certainly would not have even thought about doing it in the uk unless i had the support of yourself nadia and women in control and i think that's such an important thing with women and the solidarity that we each like show each other and how we ro- help each other to rise and and whatnot and like with the seat at the table report can you just tell us a little bit about what the reasoning was behind it and what the kind of what you want to get from that
1: yeah, definitely. But no, I just wanted to, yeah, just, you know, reiterate what you were saying. I just remember mm. us both having that conversation and, and kind of us touching base after your, your gender disparity in, in Irish radio report. And I just remember, you know, me asking you a question, like, is this going to, you know, affect your career? Are you OK? You know, because I felt like yeah. I had to reach out to you as another woman and I was preparing to release my own report and I was going through mm. the same feelings. Like you said, it's like I was fully prepared when I went, you know, to release my seat at the table report to be completely cancelled because you don't know how it's going to be received I think yeah. you know like Vic said we we all know these problems exist and but it, it, it's it, it, if you're the one that's speaking out you are kind of putting yourself in the firing line which you know it was really really nice to collaborate with you um Linda and do the radio report in the UK together because I I said to you come on do it in the UK and you were like I don't think it's going to be as bad in the UK and I was like no <laughs> we definitely have the same issue here it might not be as bad but it's pretty bad um so you know it was it was really really lovely to to collaborate collaborate with you on that and you know like you said big it's all publicly available data but unless you put it out there unless you kind of spark that conversation you're not really highlighting it because people don't really want to talk about it people don't really want to focus on on this and it's about how you present it and what story you can you can tell from the data as well so i know that you know within the the gender disparity in UK radio, like we looked across the 31 individual radio stations. um, But I also did a further analysis in the top, 100 most played songs on radio in 2020 and then we found that fewer than one in five songs in um, the top 100 airplay chart were by British female acts and I thought it was so interesting some of the data that was uncovered really fitted in with um, some recent research from BBC as well that were from the official charts company and they've kind of called it the collaboration age um, and this is like leading to the gender gap growing and growing even more over the last you know, decade um, in the charts and on radio so that female solo acts are declining and then the number of male acts is rising so you know songs by a man and a woman together have replaced many of those that were just credited to a single female act a decade ago. And that's just staggering when you, you think about it. If we don't tell this story, if we don't talk about it, if we don't spark this conversation, is that number just going to keep declining? Do you know what I mean? It's like, yeah. you know, it's, it's, it's just crazy. Some of the data is so shocking. You, you really think, well, does anyone care? Does anyone want to do anything? And it, it's, it's quite difficult when you sometimes put out reports and, you know, you, you don't, Get change immediately from it. It can be quite um frustrating to kind of keep the conversation going and also kind of figuring out how do you actually use that data to actually enact change. Because just putting out a report, you know, like you said, Vic, you know, making it look pretty, telling that story, all that can be powerful and have an impact. But how do you actually use that reporting to actually action change um off the back of it? And I just find it just yeah, just fascinating and, and interesting. And then yeah, you asked me about the, the seat at the table report that. Kind of came about like i said just at the start of the uh, of the call just like how um i kind of was thinking about over the last few years about the uh, c- seeing the lack of diversity but i felt like there was a real uh, disinterest or there wasn't an openness or a willingness to talk about it um I had tried to bring it up a few times and have conversations and um I know it's a change this year I think 2020 has been really really tough year for so many reasons financially you know with you know um, so, so many things have happened that have been s- deemed so negative and been uh, caused a lot of hardship on people. But at the same time, it's been a real year for progression and change. And I feel like, you know, a lot of the events that happened, like us being in lockdown, the Black Lives Matter movement, the show must be paused. You know, this all led to us having that time to have reflection and start to have awkward and uncomfortable conversations. And that's really what led me to do the seat at the table report. I just really felt like, well, people... Seem to be open to speaking about this. I didn't know how it was going to be received. Um, so I really wanted to kind of spark that conversation. And I, I um, it was really driven to also unpack BAME. I find BAME a really, really problematic term, especially and particularly when we're using, when we we're trying to use that data of, you know, numbers of representation and um, diversity within organisations when you're responding to the Black Lives Matter movement or the Black Music Coalition, you can't use BAME. You know, I'm BAME. I'm mixed race. I'm half Asian, half Irish, and it just does not give an accurate picture and accurate representation. I don't think BAME was made to be, uh, you know, a negative term, but, you know, you have to also adapt to the times and and understand where it can work and where it doesn't work. And I think it's outdated and it didn't work in response to what was going on at that time. So I wanted to unpack that. And like I said, you know, I, I know that there's huge barriers for women in music at leadership roles and and, and in the boardroom. And I wanted to just put that in paper and just have a visual representation and see where we are at and see if we can spark that conversation to have change and make change happen because everyone was saying they were so on board with diversity and diversity was going to be the priority, you know, across the music industry. So I really wanted to uh, kind of track where we're at now and then be able to, to kind of push that change forward to make sure that. Things are changing and, you know, we can hold companies and organizations accountable where they're not. Because, you know, like I said, if we don't step in and do something, is these these numbers just going to continue to decline and no one's going to keep talking about it? Yeah.
0: So it's really kind of the necessity and the importance of keeping the conversation going and the continuity of, um, you know, following up. And and again, it's it's so much work, you know, and kind of I've been finding is there's. There's so many kind of people coming up and going. Ah, oh, this is great, and and especially women and and um, non-binary community as well, LGBT, because they they've always been excluded from everything. So uh, kind of the feedback that I have been getting, and I'm sure um both of you would probably have have experienced the same. It's how do they use their voice? How do how does you know a, a person in their room or in their study or in their office that is looking at a distance and going, oh, my God, these women are so inspiring and these men are so inspiring. These people are just making changes. I would like to participate in that. But how do I use my voice as a vehicle? Because I know that, as I mentioned earlier on, like I I did look from afar at women on air and at the, you know, different feminist movements in Ireland, of which there were so many. And I mean, it's I'm just so full of gratitude for it. And even, you know, when the first uh, female president, Mary Robinson, um, you know, came to power in Ireland. I mean, I remember as a young woman, kind of, she said the statement, the hand that rocks the cradle can rock the system. And that just blew my mind. I was just kind of like this is incredible. Like this is a woman and she's the president and just wow, you know, and then Mary McAleese came um, soon after. And it was two female presidents in in my youth kind of been able to look and, and be so inspired. But at the same time, it it took me probably 15 years later to find my own voice um, and how to use my voice and and find a vehicle for it to be kind of, you know, uh, elevated and, and, kind of to be used towards what you know I was always a feminist I think I was born a feminist but it's kind of and I'm sure there's so many people out there that have the same that are in the same situation and that have the same kind of I wouldn't say problem but just kind of um, barriers uh, probably is the best word because every barrier can be overcome and it's just how do you get from behind that kind of wall that you're facing that might be blocking you from achieving uh, you know balance and better things in your life so what was that or what experience led both of you um, to discover your voice and and how to use it? Really, I think
2: I think for me, um, starting to work for 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 one of the you know oldest music industry membership organisations. Which was then called the British Academy of Songwriters, Composers, and Authors is now called the Ivers Academy. So, you know, I worked there for thirteen years mm. and six six years as chief executive. And that, you know, that is a, an organisation that's um, been set up since the nineteen forties to campaign. So I really learned how to how to campaign there, um, you know, and getting getting involved with with UK music and sitting on that board for six for six years. Yeah, it was really good grounding.
0: So it's more kind of surrounding yourself with people that will enable you in a way? Well, it was, you yeah, know, it was learning, learning how to do it and actually learning, learning there
2: that the importance of good, good evidence, because, you know, we did lots of um, campaigning directly to government and uh, the UK government, sometimes the American government and also in, uh, in Brussels as well. So, you know, learning, learning all of the techniques of learning about the, the importance of um, policy, policy that's based on evidence that's based on research and good and good research so you know that was a that was a really a really great um lesson, campaigning lesson for me and learning how to gather lots of people behind you on your on your on your cause. so i think yeah, i think 13, 13 years there really really stood me in good in good stead for for all of my work
0: now yeah, and what led you to be in that organisation? Like, where where did you start from being a young woman um, to to where that kind of led on that journey? Well, I think I'd I'd always enjoyed campaigning. So, um,
2: uh, because in the early nineties, I went back to, to 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 college to study music and uh, did did sort of. Six years at various various colleges studying music and performing arts. and actually I spent three years in the in the student union movement, became mm-hmm. president of my student union um, and and really you know started to sort of get very um, very proactively politically engaged there. And then when i when I moved to London, I just did yeah lots of you know lots of entry level jobs to to try and find my way in the, in, in, in the music industry. Working in retail and various uh, various venues and party promotion did all did all sorts of things. But uh, but, uh, but but then I sort of started training doing financial management. So I ended I ended up at Basca going in as their as their financial controller, um, which sort of led uh, led me I guess I guess to becoming chief exec but I was always really engaged with the cause and fighting Mm. for a cause and I've got a you know I'm originally from the northeast of England and I think that's sort of my socialist roots Mm. um um, you you know really um so the sense that I've got a strong sense of social justice and you know when I see you know Inequality or discrimination anywhere, I want to call it out and do something about it. Uh, And I think if you spend any time working in the music industry, you see a lot of you see a lot of inequality and social justice. So yeah, yeah. Yeah. What
0: I mean, it's 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 so inspiring, and I love the way you just catch it. Like, yeah, I I joined the student union, became president. (laughs) I mean, you're just such a boss, you know, Um, (laughs) your your journey. I mean, it's just uh, I I, again, I just can't begin to express how inspiring um, both you and Nadia were uh, to me back uh, earlier this year when I was listening to so many seminars. Because I just wanted to kind of I knew I was ready to find my voice and kind of get it out there. But it, it. most 100% would not have happened the way it did had I not have stumbled across um you know different seminars by women in music and that particular one uh with uh, Alison uh, Nadia and yourself and you know I hope that anyone that's listening in um to this podcast and indeed other podcasts that use my feature on finds the same level of inspiration that I did and you know uh you know can, can use it as um a tool to kind of go, you know what, you know, there's so many possibilities out there if we, you know, just just learn how to kind of push, push aside the negative feelings and thoughts that might invade, as they do with so many people, but women in particular, of, um, you know, what are you doing? What are you saying? You know, you, you're not supposed to be doing this. and And I think that's a, a you know. You mentioned we we're talking about prejudices and of frameworks and and um just how society is structured and how women have always been you know it's almost like like some children like you know oh children should be seen in our heard. but many times it was women uh should be seen in our heard. they should be seen and adored but didn't have a voice to be heard you know and that is just something that really I, I think is starting to change and it's not Until kind of people start speaking up and start using their their power and their voice uh, as vehicles for change. And Nadia, you know, because we're we're also kind of similar in terms of the passion that we have for activism and, uh, and the need and the want for change. And what led you to, I know you start working in a PR firm, was it?
1: Yeah, I started in the industry in in PR, um, but I wanted to get into management. So I've been managing for 16 years. And yeah, similar to Vic, I feel like, you know, I've always had this strong sense of social justice and like fighting for the underdog or calling out when I've seen something wrong happen. And I, you know, started looking after grime artists you know, for PR. And then my first management client, I'm still managing him now, 16 years later. And, you know, he's a grime act. And when I took him on, there was a huge challenge. There was just so many barriers um, against black music when, um, you know, he was starting out. His song was banned from being played in clubs. Uh, his song not even him performing in clubs so obviously he was banned mm-hmm. from doing that even the instrumental wasn't allowed to be played in clubs so there was there was signs up in clubs across you know the country saying that we don't play this tr- uh, song even the instrumental so do not request it um mm-hmm. so there were just so many barriers that you know that led to like the 696 form being uh, y- included and brought in where which just led to just so many of his shows being canceled and he couldn't perform anywhere across the whole of the UK. So it was just a huge amount of barriers. I had to really fight against that. And I also found myself, you know, over the last, you know, decade of my career, kind of really working to bridge that gap between, you know, the mainstream media and, you know, what was really seen as like a really niche genre, really aggressive, all these negative connotations and trying to really break that down and be like, that's not how it is at all. Like, this is not, this is not what it's about. And, um, just kind of not understanding why there wasn't really seen to be a place for you know black underground musicians in the mainstream music industry. Um, so I feel like a lot of my management work has actually been a lot of campaigning, it's just been something that I've you know been been passionate about and something that I've put and invested a lot of energy and time into and then you know obviously you know my artist you know became quite successful and I've got to a certain level and then started uh, picking up female acts and then I was like whoa okay there's like yeah. a whole other heap of barriers here for female acts where you know I would go to um, record labels and it would just be really crazy conversations that I would not have expected and um, be- being like well we've already got a female on our books so you know our MD is not going to we're not going to be able to sign another one I'm like what so you can only have one female artist and this is completely normal for you know people to have these conversations and blasé and say well how is she different to this female and I'll be like but you've got 20 guys signed to 20 different Enough. guys signed to your roster and how are they different why do you why is there always this comparison between you know female acts and going for playlist slots, going for festival slots, going for radio playlists. It it was a lot of times, very often to kind of get this response back of like, well, we've already put, got a female on the lineup. We've already got a female booked in there or females don't test well, or females get skipped more. So just hearing this stuff again, just kind of sparked another fire inside of me to be like, well, I need to look into this and I want to, to change that. And I think Through creating Women in Control, I think it's given me, I guess, a vehicle to try and really tackle some bigger issues as well I think with management you know you're focused on one artist or one person and I just wanted to kind of be involved in something bigger than that because you know I've been involved in creating change throughout my whole career um you know breaking down doors turning a no into a yes uh you know you know creating awareness around social justice issues but I really just wanted to um yeah do use women in control as a vehicle to do that for you know a a larger number of uh women and, and and people across the industry rather than just focusing on a single act so yeah I feel like I've been doing it my whole um my whole career my whole life really so
0: just passionate yeah. <laughs> I just you 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 mentioned just the uh, kind of barriers that your your acts and your your clients would have um and your artist roster would have experienced but you as a female manager I mean I'm sure because i I certainly experienced it as um a female label rep and a female publicist and if I was in you know, events or shows or even just PR environments of being you know, on TV shows or radio in radio stations and I'd walk in with the client and people would just make the assumption that I was either a roadie or someone that made the coffee or their PA and you're kind of going, No, I'm actually looking after this band today. I'm the boss and it was just met with uh, what? Like, really? You know, and that's such a huge thing that I think a lot of us have had to deal with and how to deal with that I remember numerous occasions where I would just be very clearly pissed off and then I kind of learned you know what I can't be going around angry all the time I just have to kind of find some sort of a balance in what my reaction will be in these situations and then to move along and get the job done so I'm sure you you both have experienced this and and if so how do you navigate that? (laughs) (laughs) they're like "Hmm, should I tell the real story or like
2: (laughs) well I think you know I mean a lot of a lot of it you just have to ignore set to one side and keep going uh uh, uh, you know I mean I know that uh you you know even even as chief executive of the trade organization I I know that I was treated differently from the men who had done the job before me you know there were certain um there were certain events and so, and so on, um, networking events at that, at that level that were organised by other chief execs in the industry that I wasn't invited to. Mm. Uh, you know, and I've talked, I've talked to a few other um, female CEOs about about that, and uh, you know, you can't, you can't, you can't do an awful lot about that. Actually, you just have to get on and do and do a good job. Uh, yeah. You know, and I know, I know, publishing my Counting the Music Industry report last year, that, you know, that, that did definitely have a backlash. Yeah. Um, there were, you know, the people I'd worked with for 10 years who now will not respond to my email communications. I know how that feels. <laughs> <laughs> and, it, and again, it's just like, okay, what can I do? I can't do anything about that. I'm just going to have to keep on believing believing in what I believe in and doing what I'm doing and um it, you know just just sort of in ensuring in you're talking about that network of women just in you know ensuring that I, I I only work with 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 really amazing people who who really you know believe believe in the cause as much as I do and uh yeah one day one day at a time yeah and um, what
0: about you Nadia?
1: Yeah, no, I just um I I feel like, you know, being a woman working in the industry, especially in management, it, it's been really isolating experience. I've had very similar experiences to Vic loads of times where, you know, there's parties, there's after parties, I'm just not invited and I'm the only female on the road so I'm just you know a lot of times traveling by myself to shows and you know everyone else is off going to the party and I'm just going to go back to my hotel room alone and um, you know (laughs) it can be really isolating at times there's been you know times I've been on world tours and you know there's like 60 guys there and I'm the only female and it's again you know how do you act and how do you maintain professionalism because you are seen as different so Mm -hmm. um, it that that's also really challenging and, and I've also experienced That you know, many many times where I just completely and can can be seen as invisible or not even seen as invisible, unseen, because people walk into a room and just completely ignore me. And you know, it's been very frustrating over the years to have to have a male uh, counterpart or a colleague or somebody who works for me to have to speak up and say, "Oh, this is Nadia." You know, she's the manager. Um, So it's been it's been frustrating. And but what I guess what it's driven me to want to do is just talk about it a lot. A lot more, I think, before, you know, there was this just culture of kind of uh making us just be quiet about it and be like, well, you know, we feel like, well, this is just normal. This is our normal. We're just going to accept this. So when I started to speak out about it and be like, yes, I'm on tour. Yes, this is my job. And it's a great job. And I think there's, you know, so many benefits to it definitely, but it is really tough. And this is the downside. This is the, the side that you don't see. And this is the side that we don't talk about enough. And we do need to talk about it because as soon as I started to talk about it, every other woman in the industry has had the same experience. And that's what's even more shocking or upsetting to me is the fact that we've all been going through this and we've all been going Mm -hmm. through it quietly. We've not, you know, been able to share those experiences and and talk about it and say, well, this is not cool. It's not okay. You know, we, we, Should be supporting women um, on tour and treating women with respect whenever, you know, they're on the road or whenever they're doing their job and kind of breaking down whatever it is. You know, I don't get offended or angry when I get mistaken when I walk into a video shoot. I do see a lot of it as unconscious bias and, you know, those stereotypes, but I also. Do love to think it's really interesting to kind of we have to break down those stereotypes and just keep talking about it more so that these things don't happen and continue to happen for the next generation of women, because we are losing women in the industry and especially in, you know, uh, different sectors, maybe, you know, live. I know it's a real struggle and I've had some of my worst experiences it, you know at live shows um you know and touring so you know we do need to just keep talking about it and sharing our experiences so it's you know it's really like lovely to hear both of you guys speaking out as well and hearing that well you know sharing your stories of what, what has happened but it just makes me you know annoyed angry and just even more passionate and driven to kind of want to to shine more light on it and keep talking about it
0: yeah and I think what is something that is only starting to be spoken about in the last year or so is the safety aspect of being, say, the only woman amongst a crew of eighty to sixty men. And I was just on a call there this week with um, some girls from the Misha Fosta which is the Me Too movement in Ireland, from the trad, from the traditional and folk section. There actually were women from Scotland and UK organisations as well on the call. There was a load of us, and you know, there was tears during the Zoom call, there was um, anguish, there was sadness, but there was this beautiful collective togetherness of support and um, a vulnerability that I, I haven't really seen much in the industry in terms of women just telling their story and no, not holding anything back and being totally transparent. And it was so touching. And it's something that I will absolutely raise my hand up to I mean I've experienced sexism in the workplace I've experienced you know groping I've experienced guys being like oh because uh, I'm a lesbian it's like you're a waste to the you know our side and all this and loads of different comments from people in radio from presenters from producers it's not just uh, behind the scenes it's very very much <laughs> a part of the day job I, at one stage until I kind of found advice and, and, and kind of addressed it and went you know what that's not cool you're saying that and they might, it might be met with, oh, mm, oh, she's touchy. And I'm like, no, I'm not. I would not insult you that way. So don't insult me this way kind of thing. And I didn't realise how much of an issue and a problematic scene it was for young women rising up the ranks and let alone in, in popular culture and mainstream, but in the traditional section of music and in trad and, and folk, both in the UK and Ireland, and I was just so shocked to hear um some stories and, and and instances where this has occurred and has been continually occurring even throughout COVID. And it's kind of a what do we do? You know, and, and we were all chatting last night and just hearing some of the women's stories and especially the young women. I mean, you're talking, you know, from teenagers to early 20s and and telling stories about, you know, their instances where they have experienced uh, sexual assault, um, abuse, the power of authority and how they have dealt with it and navigated it. Some of which people just dropped out of the profession of music and just went, you know what, I can't, it's too triggering to be around X uh, person or a Y person. And it's just... I just found it so difficult to um, to process afterwards. I kind of got off the call and I was thinking, Jesus bloody Christ, like, you know, I, I had no idea. And I think we kind of know, but we don't know to the depths of how bad it is. And to hear from Scotland, like um, people from Scotland and people from the UK and all from uh, collectives of, of women and, and they are starting to tell their kind of... You know experiences and i I don't know how bad it, uh, it it has been during your both of your journeys, or have you seen that and to what kind of what way do you um you know for anyone that's kind of listening in, and and while it's great that we are all succeeding in our careers and we are you know enacting change and we have found our voices and we are empowering each other and being empowered and whatnot it was such a tough journey to get to that place and I don't think the the that we should sugarcoat it in any way. And it's just kind of, how do you get over instances like that? And I I, I can't, I can't presume that it has happened or anything like that has happened, but I think, I think it's like 88% of women all over the world have experienced some sort of harassment uh, in some degree um, of the sexual nature. But how do we, again, how do we get, get through that stage and to the other side of, you know what, I will, you know, process what happened and then you move forward and you move forward with not just constantly knowing that you're going to be triggered but being able to to deal with that trigger and to to move forward I don't know whether I I know it's I know it's a kind of like oh the topic but it was met with the same kind of silence at the start like last night and then it was kind of wow you know when people start talking about it it was kind of okay this is this is real you know
1: it's a huge issue in the industry and, you know, it's something obviously, yeah, I've encountered it myself um through mm-hmm. the industry. but when I, um, you know, was speaking to all various Women in Control members, so I did like various group sessions over yeah. the month of September because I had so many people sign up, which shows me obviously there's a real need and a real desire to want to, you know, action change in the industry and that there's a real time for change and a need for change. But when I was doing these group sessions, unfortunately, this came up you know many times in each of the conversations and the sessions and I wasn't expecting it to come up so much so it's yeah. a huge untalked about issue it's a very heavy topic it's something that like you said it can be triggering for you know many people or you know like myself I've, I've experienced it too so how you know how do I take that burden on on my shoulders and and feel like how, how do I you know help how how do i help in this situation how do i um create a safe space environment where women um and you know can feel free to talk about this situation but what can we do after that because you know we're looking about uh, like okay well you know let's start to talk about our, uh, let's be more open about things and let's start to talk about things that's one thing where you can actually feel like you don't have to be silenced by something um but the second part of that is then creating public awareness around about, about around any issue and you know talking about it and say well this is not acceptable And this is not acceptable. But then how do you provide that support? And how do you take action from, you know, against anybody who is um, these perpetrators? And um, what can we do? So I think it's still early stages but i think it's just something we really need to talk about and we really need to put our heads together and figure out how, what can we what can we do what systems can we put in place in the industry to you know call out this behavior to make it widely known that this is unacceptable and there will be consequences to anybody who conducts themselves in this way in the industry because it does go on way too much behind closed doors still in the industry. And it's, it's really sad to, to, to see. And like I said, it was really heavy for me to have to deal with that in my Mm. group sessions in September. I wasn't expecting this to come up all the time. And that kind of led me to kind of create like the safe space community because I felt like people, wherever I was when we were doing in the sessions, people kept bringing this up. And I was like, well, they feel like they're in a comfortable place to talk about it. But that's not enough for me. You know, let's talk about it. That's great. I want you know to have that supportive network. But, you know, we have to do something off the back of this. So I am currently in the process of, you know, talking to different um, industry organizations about, you know, how we can, um, you know, hold. Uh, people in the industry accountable and what can be done about it so it's a huge issue and it just needs to be tackled somehow
0: Mm, it is and it's again it's it's kind of that i wasn't prepared for it like in it during the zoom because i didn't realize we we, would be touching on that conversation and it was just whoa but i think once you get past that initial heaviness, you know, and and hearing people, you, I, what I've seen is just so many young uh, up and coming activists that are just not taking um, people, fobbing them off and kind of like, yeah, because a lot of them, they've gone to ministers, they've gone to the government, they want change, they want it enacted and they're not taking no for an answer. And I think that's such a powerful thing that I've only just learned about literally this week. And it's so amazing to see. And again, these these young women have said, you know what, we've followed... What um and and actually Vic, one of the young girls said, Ah, do you know Vic Bain? <laughs> and I said, Yeah, yeah, Vic is I'll be speaking to Vic on the podcast um the next episode, you know. And it's just we don't realize who we inspire when we open our, our, our mouth and we say our truth. And I think that's a really important message is you know, when you speak your truth and when you put behind the kind of the fear and the the Apprehension and stuff, and when you when you do show a little bit of your vulnerable side, amazing things can happen. Especially when we support each other as a collective, you know. I can
2: also I'd also like to add that um, you know the campaigning and the, and in the, the community and all of that's really fantastic. But for a lot of lot of women in these six, six, six situations, the way that they can really um, Get get supporters to get to get legal help and advice. So mm. I I I joined um, the Incorporated Society of Musicians um, a, a, a while back because their chief executive is is a woman, mm. and she used to be uh, an employment lawyer, and she has um, a great team of of lawyers working for her and all of the, all of the members of her organisation. So over ten thousand members. In fact, they are the only membership organisation which have a majority female membership, yeah. and um, they offer all of all of their members free legal advice and also a counselling service. So it, it, you know, it can be a rough path getting you know starting starting legal proceedings. It can be very very difficult, um, but the, you know, it, it is it is it is a possibility for members. So i you know if things if things are really serious and and the woman feels supported enough to go to go through that process then that is that is an option so uh and if not then there's always the counseling as well which you know yeah. i think i think they go hand in hand so yeah. you know when things get really difficult there is all there is always the law
1: yeah. 100%. And yeah, the, the MU as well. I've been speaking to them because they have, they had that set up their safe space as well. And, um, I believe this email is safe space at the MU.org and you can, you can email them and, um, they've also, had experiences where they've picked up uh you know things that have been reported to them and taken action off the back of it and held different people in the industry accountable and you know worked on behalf of of you know different uh women in the industry to kind of back them in situations but 100% Vic you're completely right yeah take you know you have to if you feel comfortable to um you know get legal advice and get support but you know that's what I think it's just about uh that's the next stage you know off the back of it it's about you know being comfortable enough or having a safe space where you can feel comfortable enough to to talk about it and then being guided to to where you can actually get support to actually take some action off the back of it
0: yeah so it's all about kind of First of all, opening up the, the, the conversation, it's reaching out, it's talking to your peers, it's evaluating the you know, the, the process and, and how hard the journey is, because by no means is it ever going to be easy. But what I seen this week in, in being on the, the call with these wonderful, powerful, brave women was how connected the community was and how supportive it was. So I think the support structure is, is so vital when you know, embarking on a journey like that, and I just wanted to bring that up because it's so. We we we're all so in, in, in engrossed in you know fighting for gender equality, fighting for diversity, and that's such a huge topic. And then when you actually lift another layer off that, there is so much more that goes with that, with how men view women with how the power of authority can be laid upon them and because there is that inequality again I'll go back to just Jennifer Cassidy was just a wealth of just these amazing quotes and she said that give women equal rights and entire nations become stable deny women equal rights and the instability of a country is almost certain and I think that goes for so many things it's the same as our industry if we deny and continue to deny acts of color and women um, equal stance and, and equal platforms and equal opportunities, that disparity and that lean towards kind of them being looked upon as lesser, they, they will continue to be treated as lesser. They will continue to be exploited and they will continue to be, you know, not, not, um, looked upon as, as their, they're equal, you know, and it's it's really as 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 simple as that. And I think that's why it's, all this work is just so important, fundamentally and in the long term, in pursuing the possibility of one day, hopefully, because I really do believe that we can reach an area where we have balance, we have parity, and we have equal rights for people. But we are a long way away. But getting to that journey, I mean, just to kind of wrap things up, because oh my god, I could just talk to you about for forever. Um, I mean. We, whether we like it or not, we're we're now on these platforms where where people are becoming used to hearing us and <laughs> what we have to say, and it's that it kind of bears a little bit of you know, um, it it can be a little bit overwhelming at times. But how do you balance it out? How do you who who inspires you and what um, what books, what mantras, what methods of just kind of getting in a zone where you can. Process everything, take it all in, and then keep going. For me, it's, I just surround myself with uh, books by women because I think even education wise. And we're brought up every textbook, every history book has been written by a man. And it's something that I really wanted to start re-educating myself with, which is by like just surrounding myself with books about women in science, women in history, forgotten women in history, you know, um, the wonderful book I'm reading is the places that scare you. And it's about identifying, you know, um, learned behavior that mightn't be good for you and kind of relearning it and, and re-educating yourself the invisible women of which I still have a copy here for you Nadia um which is about data and it's a, it's a book again that totally inspired uh, uh my my work in, in in data and it exposes data bias in a world designed for men by men and it, and it's just kind of re-educating and reading different books and, and just kind of going, you know what, women have always been there. It's just that they weren't allowed to be heard. And we're kind of changing that slightly. And I think it's just so important, the work that we're doing. So for both of you, what, um, what platforms and what methods bring you balance and um, enable you to continue the work that you're doing?
2: Well, for me, for me um, my PhD supervisor um a woman called Ava Tatli who who I've been in touch with for for the past 10 years actually, actually. and uh when I when I approached her a couple couple of years ago and said I I really want to do a phd she she said, I said I've been waiting for you yeah <laughs> And um, she's a she's a leader a, a, an international leader in equality diversity research, and her work is fabulous. And uh, uh, you know she's really pushing me ac- academically, but in a really supportive supportive manner. So I'm very I'm very grateful for her support and the example that um, that that she gives to me. Wonderful.
1: Yeah. And, and for myself, I think, you know, in the industry, when I was kind of coming through, I never had any female mentors. I didn't really have any connections to any uh, any senior people or women in the industry. So um, it's only recently that I've just, you know, found some incredible women that I just really look up to and admire. So Alison Wenham, I just think she's absolutely so inspiring and in just like a powerful figure in the music industry. So she's somebody that, Um, I I really get inspired by and then for me my work is kind of really now driven by you know the women in control members so it's I'm having just amazing conversations every day with just you know so many different women and uh, that work across you know vast uh, different areas in the industry and just hearing their conversations hearing their struggles or hearing their passions and hearing their wins it's just been really really incredible and that's just really what's like spurring me on like I said I really see that um w- what i'm doing with women in control is rather than just focusing as a manager on just kind of one artist i'm really just working on kind of really trying to to kind of fight that cause um for for all women and all, all of the members so i'm completely just feeling inspired by that and like you, you mentioned balance i think that really gives me my balance as well because you know i really want to create a nice safe space community where you know we can support each other and um and it's not just all about work and um, struggles and negatives there's like also creating like that positive and supportive environment as well um, and that
0: balance I think is really really
1: important so that's what's been inspiring me
0: Fantastic and just to to kind of wind, wind things up so on the kind of subject of re-educating with a female voice um, what would be your favourite quote from a female um, My I think up at the top it has to be Camilla Harris, um, I'm speaking. I <laughs> just thought, Oh, what a powerful, absolutely incredible woman, you know. Um, just to be able to look across and go, I'm speaking, you know, it was just so powerful, so simple, just perfect. What would that be for you? I don't I don't know if I can uh give you a a, a simple quote off
2: the off the top of my head, but there's a there's a very, very short um little little book by Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie called We Should All Be Feminists and um I would I would you you know it's only it's it's only sort of 50 pages long but it's it's yeah we should all be feminists
0: basically. (laughs) And man included everybody everyone should be a feminist that's brilliant.
1: Yeah, and uh, mine is yeah. Uh, well-behaved women rarely make history. I've put that up on um, a few women in control um, <laughs> things because I think it's just one of. I just think it gives me a little bit, a little bit of a, a drive. You know, when we were talking yeah. about you know, about being scared to to do certain things or worried about the consequences, I'm just like, well, yeah. you know what, just go for it. Um, yeah. So you know, I think that quote has been you know attributed to Eleanor Al- uh, Roosevelt. Was it Eleanor Roosevelt? It? Yeah. yeah, Anne Boleyn, Marilyn Monroe. So there's yeah. been I don't know where yeah, it originated exactly from but it's definitely a trail yeah blazer for you know disobedient women that are making the changes <laughs> and <laughs> well, society. So that's, yeah, that's my quote
0: <laughs> let's all continue to be disobedient women <laughs> <Hey>. <laughs> thanks so much for joining us today um really appreciate your your energy and your your vibrance and the work that you are both doing uh nadia i'm so honored to be able to work with you, and um, and Vic, I'm so looking forward to to what's to come because I know you're in the throes of of research right now. What can we kind of expect in the in the future from yourself?
2: Well, I'm relaunching the F list. So the so the, I've spent um, uh, well all of all of this this year basically rebuilding rebuilding the atlas and
0: your uh, mm-hmm. gonna be gonna be launched next Monday. Oh, great! We'll be sharing it on every every platform that we have. That's incredible. And yourself, Nadia. Oh, lots of projects coming up.
1: So yeah, I'm just just trying to end the year with a bang and then start yeah. the new year with a bang. <laughs> <laughs>